speaker for today. His name is Isaiah Asher. He is a student of Moody Bible College. He's finishing up. Um, he, he was called to the mission field at age 14. He was kind of living in denial of his call until age 18. And then he gave his life to the mission of God. And uh, so let's give a very warm welcome to Isaiah Asher from Jews for Jesus. Shalom. My name is Isaiah Asher, and I'm with the Jews for Jesus ministry. And this morning, I'm going to share with you a presentation called Christ in the Passover. So if you were to ask Jewish boys or girls, the hero of Passover is, after giving credit to the Lord, they'll certainly tell you Moses. And that's true, but it's not the whole truth. You see, if you were to ask some Jewish boys or girls who know the Messiah, like my little brothers and sisters who the hero of Passover is, then they might tell you Jesus. Now, perhaps you're wondering what Jesus has to do with Passover. Passover is Jewish. Well, so is Jesus. (laughs) And not only did he celebrate the Passover every year he dwelt among us on the earth, but I believe that he's clearly pictured in all the symbols of Passover and in the story of Passover itself. For the message of Passover is the promise of redemption. And the story of Passover is the story of our liberation from bondage. As I explain this traditional Passover setting, it's my hope that you'll see it as more, you'll see it as more than an explanation of a commemorative meal, but that you'll see Passover as I see it, as an object lesson of the life and mission of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look closely, because I believe you'll see a picture of his death, his resurrection, and the promise of his return. If you have your Bibles, could you turn with me to the 22nd chapter of Luke? And then I'll read. I'm going to read verses 7 to 13. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of that house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room? Where? I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. The first night of Passover begins a seven-day holiday called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during that time, we eat nothing that contains any yeast or leaven. Why no leaven? Well, throughout Scripture, leaven is frequently used as a symbol of sin. Like, for example, a small piece of uh, leaven was used to ferment an entire portion of dough. It caused the dough to rise, just as sin causes us to become puffed up in our own eyes. So during this time, we eat no leaven as a way of saying we want to break the daily sin cycle in our own lives. That's why in some Orthodox Jewish homes, up to six weeks prior to Passover, the house undergoes a complete spring cleaning. We remove all the cakes, cookies, bread, cereals, basically anything that tastes good, and we throw it out. And uh, we just get rid of it so that uh, we don't have any leaven or sin in our homes. And this is usually the work of the woman of the house. But do you remember the passage, what Luke said? He says that Jesus sent two men to prepare the Passover. Perhaps he sent two men because in Judaism, it's the man who has the standing before God. Not only when it comes to ceremonial preparations, but when it comes to prayer as well. And so... If you think about it, 
That means the man should be doing the cleaning during these six weeks. <laughs> but there's a tradition that gets the man out of this predicament. The night before the Passover, he comes home and he takes up some rather strange-looking cleaning tools. They include a feather, a wooden spoon, and a napkin that usually looks a little better than this. And he goes on what we call in Hebrew, Bedikat Chametz, or in English, the search for leaven. Now, where could, the crumbs, like, where could those crumbs be that we've, we've left a couple crumbs in our house and he has to search for them? And so where could they be? Well, it could be anywhere. In the basement, in the attic, behind the refrigerator, you know, anywhere. But fortunately for him, the woman has hidden them, and she's been good enough to hide them exactly where she hid them the year before. And the year before that, and the year before that. And so he discovers the crumbs, and with a very steady hand, he sweeps them onto the spoon with the feather. Since the crumbs represent sin, the man's not permitted to touch them. Instead, he wraps them in a napkin, and in some traditions, would take them down to a courtyard where a large bonfire is made in a synagogue, and he would throw his bundle into the flames. And all of the men, would, all of, the men of that congregation would gather there and do the same thing. And then he'd return home where he says, Now I have purged my house of all leaven. But just to be certain, he adds, But may all manner of leaven which I have neither seen nor removed be considered null and void and as the dust of the earth. Amen. The house has been cleansed. It is now ready for the Passover celebration. On Passover, the head of the household puts on some special ceremonial garments. He wears a white robe called a kittle. Uh, because in Judaism, white is, it represents royalty. And Jewish men often cover their heads. They wear a yarmulke or kippah in Hebrew. And, but tonight, instead of wearing that, he puts on something a little more elaborate. It's big hat thing. You know, it's kind of got designs and everything. And that's called a mitre. Royal robes and the symbol of a crown. Because tonight, the head of the household is a king. And as a king... He guides his family through the traditional Passover, Seder. And Seder is a Hebrew word which means order. Because the Passover celebration follows a specific order of service. And that order of service is found in a book like this here, called a Haggadah, which means the telling. Now, I don't have a Haggadah for everyone, but when you came in, you received your um, bulletins. And inside it is a brochure. If you'd like to take that out, we're going to be using that. Well, I see everything's about ready. There's a customary greeting at Passover. Let all who are hungry come and eat. Well, don't get excited. I didn't prepare a meal, but I guess there might be food later on, so you can thank other people, not me. Um, and, but I still want to invite you to come and celebrate Passover with me here. And that begins with lighting the candles, which is usually the duty and honor of the woman of the house. I'll say the blessing in Hebrew, and then in your brochure, there's English, and I'll ask the women to read the English along with me. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'tivanu lehedlik ner shel yom tov. Women, please read the English with me. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to kindle the festival lights. Now, I think that it's fitting that a woman would kindle these lights. For it can remind us that the Messiah, the light of the world, would be brought by from the seed of woman, not by the seed of man, and by the will of God. For we know that the prophet Isaiah says, um, 
Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. A light to light the Gentiles and a glory for thy people Israel. Passover isn't just a meal. It's a banquet. And it's not just a service. It's a really complex ceremony. While a meal and service can take, like this, like one to two hours, uh, Passover takes up to four, hour, four or five hours. So I hope you have no plans for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> and uh, during that time, each adult at the table will drink from and refill their cup four times. That's why I have four cups here represented. The first one is called the Kiddush cup, or the cup of sanctification. Second one is the cup of plagues, like we were just talking about. The third one, which is actually the focal point of the entire ceremony, is called the cup of redemption. And then finally, the fourth cup, the cup of Hallel, or the cup of praise. It's with the first cup, the Kiddush cup, the cup of sanctification, that the, service, uh, the, the host offers a blessing over the wine for the service. And I'll say it in English, and, and your brochure is, I mean, I'll say it in Hebrew, and in your brochure is English, and I'll ask the men to read along with me. Baruch atadonai Eloheinu melech haolam borei peri hagafen. Amen. Men, please read the English with me. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Amen. The service has begun, and the youngest person present comes forward to ask the traditional four questions, which are found in the Haggadah and in your brochure. They are chanted, and the first one goes like this. If you'd like, please read the English with me. The first one. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why in this night do we eat only unleavened bread? Let me answer the first part of that question on why this night is different from all other nights. For those of us who know the story of Passover are obligated to respond. This is because of what the Lord did for me when he brought me out of Egypt, the, out of slavery and the house of bondage, when he redeemed me with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. For redemption is the heart of Passover. But Passover imparts more than God's message of redemption. It imparts God's means of redemption through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb. You see, my ancestors were instructed to take a spotless lamb, to roast it whole, and to apply it, without breaking any of its bones, and to apply its blood to the doorposts of our homes, to the top of the doorpost, and to the two side posts. And just as my ancestors had to apply in faith the blood of that lamb to the doorposts of their homes, so each one of us May, must apply the blood of the Messiah to the doorposts of our hearts. And just as the angel of death passed over my ancestors' homes, so the, so the reality of um, dying spiritually is, passes over our hearts once we accept Jesus as the Messiah. Now to the second part of that question on why we eat only unleavened bread. We explain that our ancestors in their haste to leave Egypt had to take their bread with them while it was still flat. One of the items found on the Passover table is this one here. It's called a matzotash. And inside of it, if you can see, are three layers of matzah, each one separated from a cloth. It's at this point in the service, the host removes the middle one 
He breaks it in two. It's not really two, but it'll do. And he offers a blessing over it. And I'll say it in Hebrew again, and I'll ask everyone to read the English with me. Baruch atarunai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Please read the English with me. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. This one is given, this piece of bread is given a special name called the afikomen. And it's not eaten yet. It's actually put in this little pouch here, and it's hidden from view. And this word afikomen um, is not Hebrew, it's actually Greek. And it means that which comes later. And that's precisely what happens. It's hidden very well behind this pillow. And then later on, all the children will search for it, and they have to find it, or else the service cannot continue. Now the child asks two more questions. Please read them with me in your brochure. On all other nights, we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? On all other nights, we are not required to dip the herbs once. Why on this night do we dip them twice? Let me explain by showing you this. This is a Seder plate. Despite its appearance, it's not used for deviled eggs. As you can see from your brochure, the symbolic piece of food is placed into each one of these compartments, and each one makes up the picture of redemption. First item is called karpas, or greens. These greens represent life. But before they can be eaten, we must take them, and we have to dip them into salt water, which represents tears. So by dipping, we're reminded that a life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. This is called the chazeret, the root of the bitter herb. We generally use an onion here, or maybe a horseradish root. And this is to remind us that the root of life is bitter. And that same concept we have here called the maror, which is freshly ground horseradish. Now at Passover, we're required to eat a full teaspoon of horseradish. Anyone want to volunteer? <laughs> Do you know what happens when you eat a full teaspoon of horseradish? You cry really bad. My dad always buys the worst horseradish, and we invite a lot of people from our church to come over and partake in Passover. And he's like, always says, you have to take a heaping teaspoon of horseradish. And uh, no one knows, and then people are out for like 15 minutes. It's great. And just like the chazert, the maror is to, uh, reminds us about bitterness. And by way of contrast, we have a sweet mixture here called the haroset. It's made up of apples, honey, you know, nuts, anything good is in here. And this is to remind us of the mortar that my ancestors used to make bricks for Pharaoh. And now, it kind of seems weird why something so good and sweet represents something so bitter, a bitter toil. And the rabbis explained that even the most bitter toil can be sweetened with the promise of redemption. This is not an Easter egg. This is called the Chagiga. And it represents um, the temple sacrifice in Jerusalem. At Passover, we break it open, we cut it up, and each person is given a piece of the Chagiga. Um, but before we can eat it, we must dip it into salt water, which represents what? 
tears. That's right. And this is not, it's not only, uh, it's a token of grief because um, uh, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So they grieve that the temple was destroyed. And that's uh, what this is for. This is the last item, and it's probably the most strange that you would see. It's called the Zroa, and it's actually the shank bone of a lamb. And this is to also remind us of the temple sacrifice in Jerusalem and the Passover lamb that was sacrificed. Passover is um, often called the feast of the Passover lamb, and yet in most Jewish homes today, lamb is not served at Passover. Because, as I said, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. And so was the altar where the sacrifices were made. And so from that day until now, no sacrifices have been made, and so no lamb is served at Passover. So these two elements, the egg and the shank bone, bring up an interesting question. With no altar and with no sacrifice, how is it possible to atone for our sins? Well... Some people, both uh, Jewish and Gentile, say, might say it's not important. But the Bible says in Leviticus, uh, God says that, For I've given it to you all on the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood by the reason of life which makes atonement. And so, I think that it's, uh, I think that it is important, even though people don't think it's important. And the Haggadah actually instructs us to each take the story of Passover personally, as if each one of us were being redeemed. But, as I said, with no sacrifice, and with no Lamb of God, how? Well, once, nearly 2,000 years ago, there lived a Jewish man. His name was Yochanan. You might know him better as John the Baptist. And one day, while he was baptizing people in the River Jordan, his gaze fell upon his cousin, another Jewish man, Yeshua. You might know him better as Jesus. And John declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's how. Redemption. Not through the blood of lambs, but through the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus. And now the child asks the fourth question. Please read along with me. On all other nights, we eat sitting upright or reclining. Why on this night do we recline? Our ancestors were instructed to eat that first Passover meal with their sandals on their feet, staff in hand, ready to go at a moment's notice. And today we relax and we recline on pillows, as you see here, because in ancient Middle Eastern societies, only the free could recline at dinner, only the redeemed. It's now time for the second cup, the cup of plagues. In, tr- in Jewish tradition, a full cup represents complete joy. But today, in one sense, our joy is not complete. So, the reason it's called the cup of plagues is because at this point in the service, you would dip your finger into the cup and drop ten uh, drops of wine onto your plate as you recite the ten plagues. And this is to express sorrow and mourn the loss of the Egyptians and their destruction. And there's a very important lesson in this cup, I think. Pharaoh defied the will of God. He was told repeatedly what God wanted him to do, and he said, no, I refuse. I will not. Let me ask you something. How often do we know God's will for our lives? And how often do we know where God is leading us, and yet we say, no, 
I refuse. I will not. I know I'm guilty of that. So let me give you a little Jewish advice. If God is telling you to do something, do it. (laughs) But as I've said, Passover is a night of rejoicing, a night of thanksgiving, and a night to praise God. And tonight, I can praise God not only because my ancestors were redeemed out of Egypt, but because I've been redeemed from an even greater bondage to sin through my faith in the Messiah, Jesus. So at this point in the service where we would break and we would eat uh, a meal, great meal, but instead of eating, I'm going to take a moment and tell you a little bit about my ministry with Jews for Jesus. So I have recently moved to San Francisco from Chicago. Uh, I was attending Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and now I'm finishing my last um, semester and a half online. And I am on staff with them as like a student missionary kind of, so that after I graduate, I'll continue on to more full-time work. And this summer, I'd like to just share with you about what I did this uh, entire summer. I just got back from Israel and India uh, for about 10 weeks I was gone. I went to Israel for about four and a half, and then India for about the same, like five and a half weeks. And there in Israel, we would go to focus on discipleship and gearing up to go to India. Now, you might be wondering why we went to India if we're trying to reach the Jewish people. Well, it's kind of a phenomenon in Israel that after all the Israelis get out of the army because they're required to serve, uh, I think it's three years for men and two years for women, they go and travel. And thousands and thousands of them go to India to travel in the north mountains near the foothills of the Himalayas. And so... They go there to get away from Israel, to kind of engage in all kinds of worldly things and drugs and different things. But we go there to engage them with the gospel and share um, Jesus with them and how he is the Messiah. And so during that time, we, I was able to travel uh, to a couple different cities in India and meet with a, a bunch of people. Um, no one in India... Was like they, there was a lot of people who were really interested, but no one uh, prayed to receive the Lord, unfortunately. But we built a lot of relationships that I still keep in contact with some of the people that I've met in India. And I can still continue to minister to them. And as they go back to Israel, um, they will be continued, continually be ministered to by Jesus for Jesus in Israel. And one story I want to tell you about in India is I, um, I play music a lot. And I was playing with my friend Giselle. And we did a, a concert at this... Um, cafe restaurant thing and I played to end the night we played some of her songs and then we just played some you know popular songs and the end of the night I played a worship song called All the Poor and Powerless and I just thought that it was really important to you know folk end with the gospel and presenting that and when I got done with the song this Israeli lady's like I love that song can you tell me what the name of that song was? And so I was able to give her that. And then later on, she came back and she's like, so what is this about? What, is, what, why, what do you guys believe? So me and a couple other people were able to open up the scriptures and look about how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. And she said that she thinks that it's true, but that it would change her life and she can't do that. And so if you could please pr- continue to pray for her. Um, her name has left my mind, but uh, this woman from Israel, and that she will understand that it is life-changing and that it does change her lives and that it's worth it. And then my last night in India, one of my leaders, who's, uh, Isra- who was Israeli, who's, Israelis are kind of like, uh, you know, kind of sarcastic people, and so he would always 
you know, joke around with me, and he was like, hey, come, come over here, come over here. And I was just like, oh no, what, was he gonna, what joke is he going to throw at me now? But he said that, um, you remember that guy that you talked to the last night in Israel, the um, guy who owns that restaurant? I said, yeah. He goes, he just went and prayed to receive the Lord in uh, our building in Israel. I was just like, what? And I thought that, that's amazing. And it was just definitely a God thing, because I talked to him my last night in Israel, and he was like, this is so strange that you're talking to me, because my girlfriend and I just watched the Jesus film, and I actually just went to a Messianic congregation yesterday for Shabbat, and I was like, really? He's like, so he was like, I think God's trying to tell you something. And so, and it was just amazing that the, I talked to him the last night in Israel, and my last night in India was when he prayed to receive the Lord. And I thought that was a great closing to the trip. So that's what I did this summer. I, as I have many more stories you can ask me later about traveling and backpacking uh, up mountains and different things. So, so back to the presentation. After dinner, and after we're all done, we come back to the third cup, the cup of redemption. This is actually, as I said, the focal point of the entire ceremony. But the service can't continue yet, because earlier something was broken, buried, and now needs to be brought back. Do you guys at all remember the name of that? Afi Komen. It's a hard one. <laughs> and so all the children will search for it, but only one will find it. Only one. And he brings it to the head of the household, and it's redeemed for a price. It's taken broken into small pieces about the size of an olive. It's taken, the third cup, the cup of redemption. Does this look familiar? It should, because this is the origin of our communion service. And not only that, consider this. Where else can we find a clearer picture of our Messiah Jesus than in this custom concerning the Afikoman? which is broken, buried, and then brought back. Even the matzah itself speaks of Jesus. The rabbis have laid down specific regulations on how matzah is prepared. It has to be striped, as you can see. It's striped. Jesus was striped. It has to be pierced. If you can see here, it's pierced. Jesus was pierced. And even... The idea of matzah being without leaven and being without sin, and same being Jesus without sin. Sorry, I have to move this cable. It's bothering me. <laughs> but I can see our Messiah symbolically not only in the afikomen, but in this pouch here, the matzatash. You remember this from earlier? It's a pouch that has three layers of matzah, and one is removed. Forms and this pasuk forms unity, a triunity, and a Hebrew word which may mean such unity is achad, and it brings to my mind the word of God's given through Moses when He says Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Achad, which means Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that word for one is achad. Now, there's many explanations about what the meaning of this is. Some say that it represents the three patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But why is the middle matzah taken out, broken, buried, and then brought back? Others say that it represents the three divisions of worship in the ancient kingdom, the priests, the Levites, and the people of Israel, 
Why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? And still others say it represents three crowns. Crown of priesthood, the crown of learning, and the crown of kingship. But why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? There's another custom that has its roots in the first century. And it's what I believe this represents. I believe that the middle matzah is broken, buried, and brought back because Jesus was broken, buried, and then brought back. And that this bears witness to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's now time to take the third cup. And we take it with the afikoman, and drink. We take and drink. And the fruit, just to explain about what is in here, the fruit of the vine is, at Passover is usually red. Our rabbis say to remind us of the precious blood of the lambs that were sacrificed um, so that we might be redeemed from bondage in slavery and to sin. It was concerning this cup, the cup of redemption, that Jesus took after dinner when he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. He spoke of the new covenant promised to us by Jeremiah, when Jeremiah said, Behold, the days are coming when I shall make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers, the one they broke, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make. Um, in, in those days, I will put my law within them, and on their hearts I will write it. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one. if you wanted the reference. And so, as I said... These two things are taken together to bear witness to the redemption through the Lamb. And my Passover Lamb is Jesus. We now come to the fourth cup, the final cup, the cup of Hillel, or the cup of praise. And you all know a Hebrew word, but I wonder if you know that it's Hebrew. The word is hallelujah, and it means praise the Lord. The first part of that word is Hallel, which means praise. And this is the cup of praise. It's customary at this point in the service to read Psalms 113 to 118 called The Great Hillel in the Jewish Bible. And we're going to read all of it. I'm kidding. I have a uh, small portion here in the brochure. And I'll read the bold, and I'll ask you guys to read the italicized responsibly. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I tricked you, though. There's actually one more cup, which I haven't told you about. It's this one. It's called the cup of Elijah, and no one drinks from this cup. And actually, an entire place setting is left untouched for all, all for the prophet Elijah. Now, 
why do we long for the prophet Elijah to come? Well, the Hebrew prophet Malachi records that before the Messiah can come, he must be preceded by the prophet Elijah. In Hebrew, Eliyahu Hanavi. And the thing is that I know that Elijah has returned because when Jesus spoke of John the Baptist, he said, if you care to accept it, he himself is the prophet Elijah who has come. And so, the prophet, the forerunner of the Messiah has come, and so has the Messiah himself, Christ in the Passover. To end, I'd like to talk about this brochure one more time. On it is an involvement section right here. It's nicely perforated for you to tear off very easily, like that. And it sounds nice, too. If you could uh, fill out your name and any information that you would like to give to me, I'd like to keep in contact with you and thank you for coming and just uh, tell you about my work. And you can sign up for our monthly newsletter that we have that we send out. It's free. We don't charge for it. Just gives you updates on what uh, Jesus for Jesus is doing around the world and um, what we're mov- and how we're moving forward in the ministry. So, thank you very much. <laughs>